0: Are your ancestors from Berlin? Did you already start research in Berlin and got totally confused or even lost? Or did you visit Berlin and fell in love with this vibrant and chaotic city? Then you should listen to episode number four of the German Genealogy Girls podcast that will give you more background information on the history of Berlin and loads of tips on how to do research. Welcome to the German Genealogy Girls Podcast. I am your host, Rosula Krause from Berlin, Germany. Join me as I dive into German genealogy. You will receive first-hand information on the best resources and techniques, German history, and all you need to know when it comes to German research. And now, let's get started. Welcome to the German Genealogy Girls podcast. I'm your host, Ursula Krause, and I'm sitting here in my office in the center of Berlin where the magic happens. Finally, all the building sites outside around me have closed for the day so I can start recording. I'm all by myself today, so I don't have a guest as I had in the first three episodes. I only have the snoring little dog. And the sparrows, Alvin and Agnes, outside on the balcony. Uh, So if you hear a noise, it's Alvin and uh, he's trying to impress Agnes, the little sparrow lady. Uh, And I think she is impressed. So, um, So they will be my very special guests and you might hear them in the background this time we're going to be talking about Berlin. And uh, of course, there's a lot to talk about when it comes to Berlin. Berlin is the capital of Germany, uh, with more than 4 million inhabitants from more than 120 countries of the world. So there really is a lot going on. And uh, actually, a lot of crazy things happening in this town. You're crazy, my child. Go to Berlin because that's where the crazy people are and that's where you belong. So this little song was written about 140 years ago by an Austrian composer called Franz von Zuppé. And um, it still is very true because actually Berlin still is a rather crazy city. Because there's so many things, it's constant change. It's change, it's change, it's change. You you just kind of run through life in Berlin. And uh, you either love it or you don't. And um, in this episode, I want to talk to you a little bit about the history of Berlin so that you understand why Berlin is so crazy. But you will also learn a lot for your research. So let's go talk about Berlin. Let's start talking about the people of Berlin. There's a lot of things you can say about them. Actually, did you know that you only qualify to be a real Berliner if you, your parents and your grandparents were born in Berlin? So, so there aren't too many people who actually qualify as a Berliner, even though many people do identify with Berlin. And some even say, ich bin ein Berliner. It's not as easy as that, so as long if you don't really have your parents and your grandparents being born in Berlin, you just don't qualify. And uh, I'm not a Berliner myself. I have a grandmother who was born in Berlin, but uh, she even lived there with her family until they were evacuated in World War II from the air raids in the summer of uh, 1943, and they never returned to Berlin. But I know that it was her city and it was uh, in her heart and she really, really missed it. And uh, she really could still tell stories about Berlin in the roaring 20s, I tell you. The people of Berlin have a reputation of being rough and big mouth. and uh, But actually, I think that's more the first impression you have. They are really kind and loving and caring. And uh, as soon as you survive the first impression, um, the, the, the first when you first meet someone from Berlin, you might get a bit scared. Uh, but um, you know they're nice. You just have to get to know them better. And as soon as you know know them, um, you have a friend of their life for a lifetime. So they're wonderful people here. They do wear their hearts on their sleeves. They're really direct, and they have a very interesting kind of humor that not all people understand, especially those who come from Württemberg. Haha, but that's just a joke, we say, in Berlin, because the people of Berlin don't like the people of Württemberg for some reason. Um, although the people of Württemberg, of course, are very nice people. Um, it's just something... Yeah, it's just the way it is. Um, It probably is this kind of humor that makes the people of Berlin survive whatever tragedy and catastrophe there is, and uh, there have been many. Um, There's so, so many things that the people of Berlin had to go through, and it's probably also their sense of humor and their ability to adapt to the many changes that more or less define Berlin. So Berlin is the city of constant change. And you always will have to keep that in mind when you research your ancestors, that once you found out how things were, they might have been different about a year after. So uh, keep that in mind. So let's talk about the history of Berlin. Of course, we can't take the entire history but um, I just picked out some interesting facts that will make, you, uh, make your research a bit easier. Berlin was founded at the end of the 12th century. And um, that's pretty young, actually, considering that Cologne, for example, was uh, founded about 38 BC. So it's a bit older. So Berlin isn't, isn't that uh, old compared to many other German cities. Actually, it was uh, two cities that were founded. It was Berlin and Köln, who later merged into what is known as Berlin today. And in the 15th century, it became the residence of the Elector of uh, Brandenburg. In uh, 1539, Berlin becomes Lutheran. So the Reformation reaches Berlin and a year later uh, Brandenburg follows in 1540. So Berlin is mostly Lutheran or let's say evangelical because there are a lot of reformed churches um, here as well. At the end of the Thirty Years' War in 1648, Only half of the population was actually left. That was about 6,000 people. That's not much for such a town. And uh, most of them died during the war or of diseases. And uh, there were actually areas in Brandenburg where only one-fifth of the population survived. So Berlin and Brandenburg needed to have people to come and move in for economical reasons. In the next decades, there were many refugees coming in, and there were French Huguenots, um, reformed faith naturally, who settled in uh, Berlin and also in Brandenburg, in the north of Brandenburg. So we have a lot of reformed churches there. But uh, it was also a Jewish community that was founded and many, many more people from all over Europe came to Brandenburg, uh, many of them finding religious freedom. And uh, they were craftsmen and they were merchants and they brought a lot of wealth to Berlin and to Brandenburg. So that was the meaning of it. In 1709, Berlin already had 55,000 inhabitants and uh, growing, 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 only getting more. And um, there were more religious groups coming, uh, one of them being from Bohemia. There were religious refugees from Bohemia. Also, they belonged to the Reformed faith, so they were evangelical as well. And they founded the colony of Burmish Riksdorf, and we also find them in Babelsberg, which... Um, now belongs to Potsdam, for example. Maybe some of you has uh, visited Babelsbach. Now, Berlin not only was a residence, um, it also had uh, many garrisons. And the, the Prussians have a love for soldiers and the military. And um, so, of course, uh, there were a lot of... Uh, uh, many of the inhabitants were uh, militaries, actually. And um, either did they come with their families Or they just fell in love with a girl from Berlin and stayed. So there's a lot of people coming in from outside, from other parts of Prussia into Berlin and um, to Potsdam, of course, which was a major garrison as well. So um, Berlin is growing and uh, in the year 1800 were already up to 170,000 inhabitants and 25,000 of those were soldiers. And with uh, Berlin beginning to grow and to prosper, uh, the first university opens in 1810 and we now know it as the Humboldt University. And uh, this is where Albert Einstein would later teach. With industrialization coming up, business and factories in Berlin are booming. Berlin is the typical boom town in Germany and things are just it's just exploding. More and more uh, factories open and there's an incredible need of workers. They come in from the Prussian provinces, from the countryside, where they don't really have a chance to stay, or maybe they can continue living from hand to mouth, as their ancestors did, but maybe they see a chance that things will get better. So Berlin is growing and growing, and um, in 1847, we already have 400,000 inhabitants, in 1861. Uh, Berlin is taking a big step and incorporating many of the suburbs. So now all of a sudden they're up to 550,000 inhabitants. And um, in 1877, they're already up to 1 million. So that's an enormous growth. In 1900, it's 1.9 million. And including the suburbs, that's 2.5 million. So all these people, of course, need to be housed. And if if so many people come so fast, so they just build cheap houses, it's kind of tenement blocks that are dark and smelly and cold. And uh, um, there are many people who simply live in one room. Um, there's one family per room and uh, often they even rent out the beds so that there are people who work night shift sleep in the day and those who work um, at, um, in daylight, they sleep at night or everything in the same bed. So, of course, there's a lot of diseases and um, life is really, really hard if you're a worker in Berlin. The worker districts are Kreuzberg and Neukölln we have Prenzlauer Berg Friedrichshain and the Wedding um, and so they're mostly in the north or in the east and the reason for that is the wind so the smelly so if the wind comes from the west all the smellies especially from the coal ovens go are blown to the east but of course, there's not only poverty it's all also rich people a lot of people are quite wealthy um, they have bought the tenant houses, so they make a good living from the rent they they get um It's easy to get rich if you're clever in Berlin, but it's also um really easy just to kind of drown. There are a lot of maids coming in also from the provinces and uh, hoping to find a better life. But, of course, um, they hardly ever do. Um, their life is really tough. And very often they're also assaulted and uh, they end up pregnant, um, which is, of course, the, the most catastrophe for most of them. Uh, they can't even they don't even really have a place to live because, uh, of course, they're living with the family from whom they work. Um And, um, they often give birth in the hospital, which is quite uncommon because a good and married woman gives birth at home. So they have to go to the hospital. And of course, hospitals in those days do not look like hospitals, um, in our, uh, like they do today. So a lot of them simply don't survive, um, this hospital and the treatment there, um, Many of them are not able to take care of the kids and um, actually a lot of babies drown and are thrown into the canal or the river Spree. Many of these babies also die as infants, often because their mothers simply aren't able to really take care of them. If you have... There is something that is very special for berlin and that is in german called trockenwohnen and what it really means is that the cheap house was built but it was still very humid and in order to uh, rent it out they needed somebody to move in and kind of live until it's all dried out and um so they gave it, so the people moved in. They were all, very often poor people who d- couldn't really afford an apartment, but of course they had to pay rent as well. And they lived in there uh, until everything was dry. And then they moved to the next humi- humid house of this kind and uh, saw to it that it was dried again. And uh, of course, these people very often suffered from consumption, and uh, it was not fun. Um, a lot of the children died as well um, and um, that was very typical for Berlin and for us genealogists what makes it so complicated is that they constantly move and even if we have a directory um, they're not always registered or if they only stay in a place for maybe three or four months we we simply don't know uh, where they move to so uh, that's that's really hard. So up to 1920, more and more suburbs were incorporated. And uh, Berlin was up to a population of ne- nearly 4 million people. Um, and uh, before the beginning of World War II, they were actually up to 4.3 million. And uh, in 1945, of course, population was much less. That was only down to... 2.8 million people. Still, it was a very uh, rather large town. There were 160,000 Jew- Jews, or as we say, Germans of Jewish faith, living in Berlin um, before uh, World War II, and uh, 90,000 of them can actually immigrate to foreign countries and save their lives but more than 60,000 are murdered in the German concentration camps. 1,400 survive in the underground with the help of the people of Berlin. Now, after the war, I mean, all of you have this picture in mind um, of of Berlin laying in ruins, and it should take decades to really rebuild the city. And actually, they still are until this very day actually we still find ammunition so whenever a new house is built some kind of ammunition service needs to come and check if there is anything to find there and they do actually find bombs every once in a while um uh always very exciting i can tell you and uh I still don't really have an idea how people survived after the war, uh, but somehow they made it and somehow they're they're tough and were well adapted to that situation. It's, It's so hard for us to understand as we're living in today's luxurious world. And after the war, of course, Berlin was in the middle of the Cold War in the aftermath of World War Two, And um, in June 48 to May 49, they were totally cut off, the, or the West sectors, English, American, French, were totally cut off from... Well, the rest of the world, more or less. So there was no coal, no food, no nothing coming in. So I think we all have this picture of the uh, American planes coming into the airport of Tempelhof and bringing a lot of good things, um, making it possible for the people of Berlin to survive this time. And they surely wouldn't have without the help of the USA. In May 1949, the Federal Republic of Germany was founded, and October forty-nine, the German Democratic Republic in the Russian sector. And Berlin had a special status, but uh, East Germany didn't really care about it and named East Berlin the capital of um, East Germany, while um, German, West Germany... Um, founded their new capital in Bonn, and uh, Berlin received a special status. On 13th of August 1961, the wall was built, and uh, on the 9th of November 1989, that's 28 years later, the wall fell again. And in 1990, the, both states officially reunited, and Berlin again became the German capital. Many of you might wonder why um, the 9th of November 1989 is not celebrated with an official holiday. And um, maybe some of you know that this is the same day of the Reichspogromnacht. Many of you know it as the Kristallnacht. That's, That's the night where the synagogues burned and the harassment against that Germans of Jewish faith started. So uh, that was the year in nineteen hundred thirty eight. So for us it is impossible to celebrate that day. So of course we do celebrate the wall falling, but we cannot celebrate it on that very day. And that's why we chose to celebrate reunification day. That's the third of October. After reunification, uh, things weren't that easy. It was pretty tough for a lot of people. But now in the last years, really, with the German economy booming, but of course, also Berlin, things are going better and better. And there are people from all over the world coming Berlin has a lot of um, IT now, so it's not actually the workers' city anymore, Um, really sophisticated. It has several university, um, very well-educated people. So things are going pretty good for Berlin. Things are really getting better. And Berlin is growing again, building again, construction work everywhere. Uh, Those of you who have been to Berlin know about the many road constructions. We have building sites everywhere. um, And it's chaotic. But it's, you know, it's chaotic as it's always been. It was always some kind of construction going on. There were always more than one building sites. There were always some reconstructions. And there were always people coming in from all over the world of different faiths and living together. And building up Berlin and making it the town it is today. And uh, your ancestors, if they were from Berlin, were part of all that. Now, this was just a little tiny excerpt from the history of Berlin. And uh, I could have gone on for hours. But when we start looking into research and the problems you might find when doing research, you will understand why I chose just these parts and uh, why I so much focused on Berlin as a melting pot. But first of all, I think we need a break. love this little piece of music. Um, I just want to get up and dance, but it's time to talk about research in Berlin. We have uh, several important sources that you need to look into. Um, So let's start with that one. The church records. Many of the church records were destroyed in World War II. Sometimes we have copies that were made. Before the war, sometimes the files or the books simply are lost. That's, for example, the case for the Lutherkirche in Schöneberg or the Samariterkirche in uh, Berlin Friedrichshain. So that's very sad. But um, the the major part of the records actually did survive. And they're filmed and you can find them at the uh, church archive here in Berlin, in Berlin Kreuzberg. And um, actually, they are now uh, uploaded one after one to Archion. That's the Evangelical Church Archive database. Uh, so uh, you can look at them there. Uh, it's rather expensive, but it's uh, cheaper than actually buying a plane ticket and coming here. You can check at Archeon um, if, if your rec- the records you're looking for already are available. There's one great source that is available at the Evangelical Church Archive, but unfortunately not at Archion, and I'm not really sure if it will. I will keep you updated on that, but uh, to my knowledge, it's not even filmed yet. So it's still on microfiche, and that's something, and it's called Taufkatei. That's index card that lists all the children being born in Berlin, or I should better say baptized in Berlin, because, of course, the Jewish children are not in the in this index, um, starting from 1750 until 1874. 1874, that's when the civil records are introduced in Prussia. Now... You notice I always talk about evangelical churches and the Evangelical Church Archive. And of course, there were also children um, baptized in the Catholic faith. But that's such a clear minority. And uh, I have to tell you, I have done for more than 100 projects I've done in Berlin. I had one, one single project that was Catholic Uh, children or catholic parents i should say Um, every once in a while you have maybe one partner being catholic but usually the children are then baptized evangelical so there is one main church in berlin catholic church and that's the dome the catholic dome sankt hedwig and um, uh, you have to send a request there uh, to ask them to take a look in the books or i should say uh, i I don't really think that the books survived because the dome was bombed as well, but I think they have some kind of films. I don't really know what they're working with, um, but I think that a, a lot of Catholic church records of St. Hedwig were destroyed as well, so was uh, St. Michael um, in Berlin. And the more people come in from the provinces, from Catholic parts of Berlin, the more uh, the Catholic churches are established as well. So uh, either they there were many Catholic soldiers who came with their families or um, there simply were workers coming from Catholic parts. So... Um, Though None of these are available at an archive, so you will simply have to go to the parish and send a request to the parish itself. And uh, these children are not listed in the Taufkatei in the index at the Evangelical Church Archive as well, of course, because they're Catholic. So back to the index cards at the Evangelical Church Archive. These uh, index card lists the name of the child, the name of the parents, the resident of the parents, um, and the church uh, where the child was baptized. So you, you can then go directly to the church, and it also holds the number of the entry. So then it's very easy. Um, To find the child. And the good thing is that they're all listed in alphabetical order. So you will also be able to find siblings. And if you're very lucky, and the parents came from Berlin as well, and were baptized um, after 1750, you will even be able to go back uh, further generations and also find their siblings. So that's really great because Berlin is such a big city and has so many churches and parishes. So uh, that really makes things lots easier. If a child was born out of wedlock, it might be possible that it was born at the hospital um, because the mother simply didn't have a place where where she could live and where she could give birth. So she was forced to go to the hospital. And... um, That was mainly the Charité in Berlin. And the Charité actually had a little church where the uh, children also were baptized. So if you know it was an illegitimate birth, um, you might want to check that one as well um, and see if the child was baptized there. Let's look into the civil records Civil records were introduced 1st of October 1874 and um, and they were kept by the Office of Civil Records and that's in German the word Standesamt. So those of you who heard the first episode of the German Genealogy Girls podcast already are familiar with this word. So it's Standesamt and that's where you find civil records, That that's where they were kept. The Standesämter are still in charge of the civil records and we have a very strict privacy law here in Germany. So uh, if the one you're looking for is born um, less than 110 years ago, was married less than 80 years ago or died less than 30 years ago, you will have to go directly to the Standesamt. Uh, where they died, at the place they died, not at the place they lived, but at the place they died. So if they died at the hospital and the hospital was not around the corner from where they live, you might have to look in a different Standesamt than the Standesamt being responsible for uh, the place of residence. Um, You will uh, only get these records that are under privacy law if you are a direct descendant. That means that you have to be a daughter or a son or a grandchild uh, or a great grandchild. Um, But if it's like an aunt or a great aunt or so, you will not be able to get that information. That's because of German privacy law. But the records that aren't under privacy law go directly to the archive in Berlin. And it's called Landesarchiv because Berlin is a federal state. So that's why it's, it's kind of um, a Landesarchiv that belongs to the federal state of Berlin. And um, that's where you will find all the civil records. Um, And you, of course, you will also find them at Ancestry. So the records that are stored at the Landesarchiv in Berlin, those were filmed and available at Ancestry and indexed, which was, of course, makes the search so much easier. But not all records are online, so they stop the birth records, for example, uh, at The last year is 1899. So if you're looking for someone born, say, 1902, you will not find it there. But they are still, uh, they're not under privacy law anymore. And you will be able to find them at the archive. You will then need to find out which Standesamt the birth was registered and the number of the birth. And first then you will be able to order the record. The name index are online so that's great uh i think up to 1903 or 1904 you need to check but they're they're always updated so if you don't find it uh, today maybe it will be available in half a year or so i will post a link to this uh name register uh, on my website german and in the show notes of course If you don't know the exact place of death or birth or marriage, or if you don't know the exact date, you will simply have to go through all the name lists uh, one for one and look. Um, So it's a lot of work uh, and they're handwritten mostly. So it's not easy, but it's the only way of doing it actually right now. Now you might ask yourself, isn't there a way... To make it a bit easier just that I don't have to go through every single index and actually there is and that is if you find your ancestors or your family members in the Berlin directory or in the phone books that are also available now and everything is online so you can go there directly and check and I will post the link in the show notes as well. Let me just give you a little bit more information about the Standesämter in Berlin, and that might be important to know. When the Standesämter were established in 1874, they couldn't really foresee the enormous growth and the development of Berlin, and uh, they simply started too small. So they, had, they started with Standesämter by numbering them, so we have the number 1, 2, 3, and so on, until 13 and then when, when so many more people moved in, they simply need, needed to grow, but uh, to reorganize, but they couldn't or they didn't want to change the numbers. So they just added A and B. So A and B and sometimes even C replaced the original number. I'll give you an example. Uh, Kreuzberg had three Standesämter with a number four, five and six. And uh, Kreuzberg is a working district, so that really was just exploding. And um, so they needed to add more capacities to the Standesamt. So they added A and B. So it it's uh, replaced. Four was replaced by 4A and 4B, and five was replaced by 5A and 5B. So you ended up with, uh, instead of three Standesämter, five. So you had 4A, four 4B, four 5 a 5B and 6. And uh, today everything is Standesamt Kreuzberg. So it's gotten a lot easier, but just that you don't get confused if one sibling for example is born or registered uh, at the Standesamt 4 and uh, they don't move or anything, but the second sibling is registered in 4A. So uh, it's because of uh, the enormous growth of population. Another thing that you uh, will have to know when doing research in the civil records is that due to the reorganization of Berlin with the many suburbs coming in and the constant change going on, that sometimes even Standesämter merged or that a certain part of a Standesamt simply became a part of another uh, Standesamt and ceased to exist through the years. And uh, that's, that's a bit tricky. So you really have to look into it. If, for example, you have ancestors that lived in Wittenau, you will not find that after some time. And it's now part of the Standesamt in Reinickendorf. So uh, that's a bit difficult, Makes it doesn't make it real easier, but um, you, you, you get l- l- used to it. The more you work with records from Berlin, you simply know, and the more you know your way around. But that's why it's so important that you really look into the history and uh, the development of Berlin. And of course, you need a map. People are beginning to make fun of me because I always say you need a map. But when you're doing genealogical research, you need a map. And there are plenty of maps available online of Berlin. Wikipedia has loads of information on the history of Berlin, and they always have maps to go with it. So do yourself a favor when starting research in Berlin, do take a look at Wikipedia and see what you can find. They also have lists of street names of Berlin, um, and with uh, sometimes the, the streets change their names. And also these name changes are documented, everything on Wikipedia. So uh, do yourself a favor and really do go into Wikipedia and read first before starting your research. But what if you have the exact... Uh, date of birth, you have the exact uh address where they lived, so you already have a lot of information. It's just that you don't have the slightest clue to which parish they belonged or which Standesamt would have been in charge for as the p- place of birth. And uh, the good news is that there actually are lists and they're available online as well and uh they're part of the directory and i will also post links to it one from 1880 the other one from 1920 and uh you just need to look up the uh the street and then there will be number of the standesamt and there will also be a number for a church and then there's at the end of this list there is the the churches are listed and which church uh, had which number, so you will be able to look at that. Uh, but please beware: is that the one of the list of 1880 does not include the suburbs that were incorporated after 1880, and there are many. So if you don't find the street uh, uh, in that list, the the reason for it might simply might be that it didn't belong to Berlin by then. But uh, then check the list of 1920 and the street should be uh, listed by then. Okay, so by now I probably got you totally dizzy. And it is confusing in the beginning because it is such a big city and it is a bit complicated. But, you know, it's, it's just a matter of doing it. It's just a matter of starting at some point And don't, just don't give up too easy and it will come. It will come. The more you know about Berlin, the more you know about the history, the more you know about the different parts of Berlin, the more work you put, the more you learn and the easier it gets. So don't get frustrated. It's as frustrating for all of us, for Germans as well. Uh, You just need to just go through it and it will get better with every day you work with it. I would make a bet that there are several people out there listening to this episode and they say, I have ancestors from Berlin and I have uh, records that prove and they clearly say Berlin, uh, but I just can't find them. And uh, the reason for that is, is that they simply weren't born in Berlin. They simply said they were. Very often they come from the countryside uh, close to Berlin, and um, I always imagine that they simply figure out that nobody 's going to know this tiny little village anyway so i 'm just going to say Berlin, and we have that with all the major cities, also with Breslau and Hamburg and Frankfurt, and you name it. Um, it happens every day, so you are not alone from that, and it simply were your your ancestors' fault, so to say, and they, they simply named a city um, that they weren 't born in. So, uh, unfortunately, that's the way it is. I once was working with a project and uh, I didn't actually manage to find the actually birthplace because the parents who also immigrated with this child... Um, the mother had a very rare maiden name. And this maiden name is very typical from an area south of Berlin. It's about 200 kilometers south of Berlin. So that's like a two hours drive by car. And that's where I found the entire family. And uh, they hadn't ever been to Berlin, probably. They had always lived in their town and left from that town directly to Berlin. So um, So sometimes they don't even live close by. But they—at least uh, he lived in Brandenburg. So, but um, but my client had three records to prove that he was born in Berlin, but he actually was not. Many people come to me and say. I have somebody born in Berlin and we can also prove that. And then they say, but I want to know more about the parents. Were they born in Berlin as well? And uh, knowing the history of Berlin, they probably were not born. They probably came in to Berlin from the countryside or even from other um, parts of Europe. For example, Bohemia. I have several projects where where parents came from Bohemia, which is part of the Austrian Empire. Uh, or was by then. Often when the parents were Catholic, or at least one part was Catholic, that's also an indication that they weren't from Berlin um, and that they came from parts of uh, Prussia or Germany or Europe that were Catholic. So what I usually do is I check the uh, Taufkatai, the Index of Baptisms, if I find the ch- uh, the parents there and... Uh, I usually don't. Um, And then I check if they were married in Berlin. Um, That's a lot of work, of course, because I have to go through all uh, the the marriage indexes. Uh, So there's a collection of all these indexes. So I don't have to go to every single church and look at the name index but I can have it all all on several microfiche at the Evangelical Church Archive here in Berlin. It makes it a bit easier, but it's still rather time-consuming to check if they were married here, uh, if they were married before 1874, and the only source you really have are the church records. It's easier if they were married in Berlin after 1874, because then we have the uh, civil records indexed um, on ancestry. But um, if I don't find anything and I don't have the slightest clue what happened, I always look at the godparents of the children. So the more children, the bigger the chances are that one godparent might give it away. And uh, you also need a good pastor for that who was a bit more engaged and uh, wrote a a remark to it, for example, says, um, the grandfather of the child from this and that place. And that, of course, then you got it. That's like winning in the lottery. So it does happen. So that's why I always say, look at the godparents, take a deeper look into that. Also, marriage witnesses um, can be important if the pastor doesn't forget to add the place they come from. Sometimes even older siblings were born in the place they came from before moving to Berlin. So if you look at their death records, for example, maybe sometimes there is information there or check the confirmation records because the confirmation records um, often hold information on the date and place of baptism. So uh, never forget checking the confirmation records. That's the golden rule so uh, there's a lot of things that you can actually do um, to find out more um, so just go into the records just really interpret look at the very carefully at every single entry and look at all of the information you have and um, if you're lucky you will be able to find out the town they came from Ah, oh, there's so much more I could talk about so much more things I want to tell you but I think that For now, I'm going to leave it uh, with this because uh, I think you need to go to Archeon, to Ancestry, and to the many other sources and start researching. And uh, I really do hope you enjoy it. It is complicated, as I said before, but please don't give up. You will grow, you will learn, and you will get there. Don't get frustrated. Just keep on walking. So... That was all for this fourth episode of the German Genealogy Girls podcast. If you have any questions, just don't hesitate to send uh, an email or to get in touch through our contact page on germangenealogygirl.com. And if you feel that you learned something, please don't hesitate to make a donation to pay for this podcast's maintenance and help keeping it independent and ad-free. Thank you. It's time to say goodbye for this episode. Take care, all of you, wherever you are. Hope to see you again in episode 5 on uh, July 1st. So it's time for me to say Auf Wiederhören, your German Genealogy Girl. That wraps it up for this episode of the German Genealogy Girls podcast. Thank you for joining me exploring the hidden gems of German genealogy. Remember to visit my website at germangenealogygirl.com and learn even more about German genealogy. Until we meet again and auf Wiederhören!